Hello and welcome to the Frozen Light podcast. A podcast aimed at staying in touch with the PMLD community in the age of coronavirus. Hello and I am Amber Onak Gregory, one of the co-artistic directors of Frozen Light. And I'm Lucy Garland and I'm the other co-artistic director of Frozen Light. And Frozen Light is a theatre company that makes multi-sensory theatre for audiences with profound and multiple learning disabilities, which tours to theatre venues and art centres across the UK. When COVID hit, well, we don't know quite when it hit, but when it hit in March, we were in the middle of rehearsals and suddenly everything stopped. And obviously since then, we've just been kind of muddling through wondering how theatre as an art form will continue for Frozen Light, and in particular, multi-sensory theatre, which so often relies on touch. And you say touch, like we don't go around kind of forcing the audience to touch things, or we don't go around touching the audience, but again, just the, the nature of the communication, of sensory communication with people with PMLD does involve that close contact touch that is the essence of the entire performance it's the most important bit of our shows that's felt like such a huge loss to lose that and we're still not exactly sure how we're going to come out of it but I think what the podcast has really given us is a better way of staying in touch with our whole community we tour once every two years currently we're hoping to increase that in the future but we often see the same people again, but kind of once every two years. So we know some people, but often when we tour, we're meeting lots and lots of new people. And then we don't see them again for another two years. We don't really stay in touch with people. So the podcast has been a really great way of trying to create some stronger links with individuals, with families, with organizations. And I feel like both myself and Lucy have been on a big learning journey throughout it. Absolutely. And I think what, when we started Frozen Light, it was very much with a passion for stories and a passion for, you know, sensory storytelling. But all our shows always have a kind of narrative running through it and we tell stories. And that's what we've done with the podcast. And it's felt really interesting to hear those stories of, of, of families, of carers, of organisations and how they're trying to get through this. And as Dr Nicola Grove said in that episode... We need to find a way of actually hearing directly from that person with profound and multiple learning disabilities and what their experience is. And I think that's going to be a really exciting next step on this journey that will evolve out of this podcast. And it may not continue to be in a podcast form, but I think it's a really exciting thing for Frozen Light to explore. And I think one of the amazing things that came out of some of the interviews was the importance of family and the importance of supporting a whole family. So that was mentioned both in the, the episode with Reflect PMLD and also in the episode with Bedford and District Cerebral Palsy Society. And I think, I feel like that's something that we have thought about before, but not in so much detail. And that's really come out of doing this podcast because we haven't been able to interview people with PMLD directly in a very meaningful way 
we have had a really, really in-depth discussions with their surrounding support networks in a way that we haven't done that before. Because obviously when we're in the shows, we give people's carers and families the opportunity to take part in the sensory moments, but they're not our focus. And in this podcast, they have been, and that's been a really unique journey for us as well. And just, yeah, and just hearing about stories about families being included in things, I think there was a lovely example given about a family choir that was happening throughout lockdown. Again, just opportunities for families to feel supported and not isolated, which again has been a common theme throughout the podcast has been really, really lovely. And I think it's been a theme. We're always really aware of how people with profound and multiple learning disabilities are invisible and forgotten, but also on the note about families, those families are also invisible and forgotten and those carers and support workers and I think that's become even more true in during lockdown they felt so unsupported and so forgotten and that's just been a running theme and if if the carers and families are forgotten then so's the person with profound learning disabilities they're all forgotten and they're all invisible and they're much more invisible because a lot of people have quite complex health needs and they are shielding to ultimately to survive, to survive this horrible virus. So we're going to have a look back at some moments that have stood out to us throughout the podcast and put in some clips of things that have chimed with us. I think one of the things that just keeps coming back to me that we've heard time and time again is this confusion over whether or not you got a shielding letter. I mean, the letter itself didn't come for a good few weeks anyway. By that point, we'd already decided to shield him ourselves and had pulled him and his brother out of school, even before kind of the government had um, made it mandatory. We didn't actually ever get a shielding letter. And I suspect that was really because um, everybody thought somebody else was doing it more than anything, rather than that it was the right thing. Um, but that was fine because we were always going to go and do whatever we thought clinically was the right thing to do. My husband's a GP, I'm a nurse, so we're always going to kind of risk assess and try and work things out ourselves. Um, I think it's just all been really unclear about, you know, the risks to Thomas. You know, like I explained, we didn't get a shielding letter from the government and a GP thought Thomas was at risk and, um, or could be classed as extremely vulnerable, but we don't know for sure. And I appreciate, obviously, the nature of, of the virus. Nobody is really going to be sure, um, but it just has been difficult not knowing. We're very much forgotten about. People with PMLD weren't contacted for a long time by their GPs and things like that. Our neighbours both had had shielding letters and, you know, Dan's level of support and risk from COVID, I would think, would be much greater. And I think some of the communications, you know, it feels like the order they've gone is really unhelpful. So talking about that relaxation or, sorry, ending of shielding on 1st of August, well, more guidance is promised during July on what that means, but that hasn't come out yet. The announcement was made, and I don't think a lot of professionals knew what it meant. So families would be phoning their paediatrician or phoning, you know, their therapist or who they, who they trust, and they wouldn't know the answers. And actually... I mean, my advice to families as, 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 the, as the information goes out is talk to your, talk to your trusted professionals and, and listen to them because they, they know your family, they know your situation um, and they can give you that professional advice. 
Some people that we've interviewed got a shielding letter. People who got them got them very, very late. A lot of people never got a shielding letter, but were told by their health professionals that they absolutely must shield. And it might seem like such a basic admin error, but to me, it just screams, we're not thinking of you as a society. As a society, we're not thinking about this very, very vulnerable community. And I think that's so concerning and everything we want to do in frozen light is to make sure that people with PMLD are visible in society. And the fact that no one got a shielding letter when the health professionals thought they should have just shows how invisible people are. And, and how does that make you feel? You know, that makes you feel completely forgotten and, and not cared about. And I think that's, that's been a theme with those shielding letters and other things that people have just felt not cared about and not valued and not important enough to receive those letters. We've also met an awful lot of runners. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew um, that running would be such a huge thing amongst the caring community? That's been really, really, and not just runners, guys. We've met a lot of marathon runners. <laughs> yeah, marathon runners. And I, as most people that know me know, I'm not a runner. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I go, I've had to do it. I've had to switch it around. I used to go out running in the evenings. I now have to get up at silly o'clock before everyone's awake, really early, ridiculously early. So I set my <laughs> alarm and get up and go out. So, yes, I'm still making sure I do that because I, I just, I couldn't survive without that, without that. That's my one what, hour and a half. I sort of go out hour and a half, sort of three times a week, and that's, my time but so i am literally out the door it's ridiculously early no one's awake <laughs> <laughs> i do a bit of running i've run a couple of marathons i haven't run a marathon for um, a couple of years but going into lockdown i quickly realized within a couple of weeks that it was like i was going on my marathon run without taking any of my energy gels and <laughs> although i could get round it um I'm going to be an absolute mess at the end of it. You know, one of us walks the dog each day and one of us goes for a run. It does really help. And I've, I've, again, I've blogged about that and how it's helped with my mental health and getting that me time and so on. So we, we kept that up, both of us, trying to fit that in. It's the one thing we do try and make sure we fit in. What it does show is the, the benefits of getting outside and exercise, that being a carer is full on and a family family carer it's it's all encompassing and that i think seeing all these runners it, it kind of shows that, that that this community needs to get out there and, and and shake all that off and release those endorphins and it's got to be doing something good so keep on running maybe i'll take it up just to say i am a marathon runner <laughs> you didn't rub it in amber so <laughs> I am a marathon runner, but I have to say I am not a marathon trainer. So <laughs> one of the things that I thought was great about um, our guests was that running was such a clear, important part of their daily routine. And a lot of people said it is what got them through lockdown. So what got them through lockdown was that need to get out and exercise. Um, similarly, to a lot of our guests who perhaps had a dog as well. Um, having a dog meant that they were able to go out, exercise the dog. And just that 
thing in your life that isn't constantly caring it is something that's about you for you know for that short period of time you can just focus on you and it, i think it links back in a lot of ways to mindfulness you know when you're out and you're exercising you're kind of in the moment you're focusing on um particularly in marathon running because it's so long you're thinking on really how your body feels throughout that very long period of time and you're just kind of very much in the moment and you, you your thoughts have a time to kind of just but just sit and not to overthink. And I think on a similar note to that is how much people have talked about music and how music has been absolutely key for the people with PMLD that they're supporting and caring for, but also how that's been an activity that, that families have been able to bond over and really find enjoyment in a time that could seem really bleak. Actually, a lot of people have been turning to music to find enjoyment. I mean, from Hughes UV 80s disco parties every Friday night through to um, Dan on his dream drum and Hugh on his guitar. You know, I think we've heard time and time again about music. Will was um, got really into music videos on YouTube. So I think it's just been a real recurring theme. And I know for me, yeah, there's been times it's felt really bleak and it's like, actually, let's put some music on and let's dance about and, and just can make everything feel a bit better and allow you to be in the moment a little bit. He really, really loves music. He's really good at it as well. You know, it's something he can do. Obviously, he needs lots of support with so many different aspects of his life and music is something that he can access independently himself and he's, he's, he, he can spend an inordinate amount of time playing the guitar and it's lovely and he gets such joy from that and such pleasure from it it really helps with his with his moods with his he gets anxiety about about um you know being in new places or new things happening or you know various things cause 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 him to get quite anxious and upset and the um having access to um, his guitar his ukulele and being able to play that independently really really helps him um, and really helps to calm him down so it's been, I think, probably every single day he's been playing one instrument or another. His, his favourite is the guitar. He also likes the ukulele and his keyboard. We've been using the keyboard sort of propped up and then putting him in his um, in his walker so that we're, we're still trying to, you know, so he's weight-bearing and, um, uh, and standing. So we'll put him in that and then he'll have the keyboard and he'll be playing that and that will distract him from the fact that he's actually doing physio at the same time. So... <laughs> Yeah, every every single day, I would imagine he's. If, if you give him a choice of what he wants, it's pretty much always uh, a musical instrument he'll choose over over his other toys. Um, and then listening to music, he listens to music every single night before bed. So it's as part of his routine. He, um, he he chooses to go to bed at around about anytime between half six and half seven. He he has to go down to bed and yeah, don't yeah. Yeah, um, and then we'll, we'll stick on the radio on for him and uh, we'll have his disco lights and his bubble tube on and he absolutely loves that. And then on a, on a Friday night, it's 80s disco night, so he has, uh, we, we set his room up and it's all uh, UV lights and like uh, fluorescent things, then he has all 80s music and it's a, a full-on disco in his bedroom, so he absolutely loves it. There we are, Dan. Oh, hi Dan. You're gonna, oh, that's it. Maybe, um, maybe today's podcast, um, Dan can play us out with the drum. 
that was that such a good run. with um, the music videos he as I say we've had people sing him songs and things so he's really loved listening to those and really his genre of music is quite extreme so he loves a bit of classical he loves a bit of hard rock so he's he's absolutely loved watching music videos so I've been YouTubing music videos for him to watch and things like that so he's really got into his music I think there's some stuff around the kind of create I've seen stuff about create creative activities as well that I, agree, I kind of agree with you know during kind of lockdown we've all kind of turned to to much more kind of creative activities and and the the benefits that that gives us so it's recognition I think again of, of the value of those types of activities and the kind of things that obviously you guys do the one question that we asked all of our guests was how can the future be changed for people with PMLD, perhaps with things that we have learnt from this time during coronavirus and the lockdown that we've all experienced as a society. And we've had a real mixture of responses, both negative and positive, of everything from, well, nothing, nothing's changed. We haven't seen anything positive. But then actually that makes you think about that and makes you think about why. And that questioning within itself might be a catalyst for change. I was thinking about that and I kind of turned that on its head because I thought, well, we all could go on for hours about what people outside in the community could do more for you know, people with PMLD because I think it's just a constant battle because a lot of them, especially like Lauren, who are non-verbal, just get forgotten they get they get talked at they get talked over they just think that you know they're stuck in a chair they're not saying anything they're just making weird noise they get looked at strangely you know or they are ignored you know and it's a very small insular little world that we live in and and you know part of what we're all trying to do is make that world what you know bigger but it's a con it's, it's a constant battle because people don't understand you know, it scares them. It scares them. Anything with disability, anything different. So, oh, we, we know it, it, it's, and because she doesn't talk and she, you know, she does, makes odd noises and sounds and stuff, people are scared of it. So um, it's trying to, you know, change that perception. But I think one thing that as I've learned in this lockdown is how hard caring is. <laughs> and I think a lot of the time people don't realise that the job carers do is massive, it's it's you know I think it's seen I think it is still seen as a job that you know it's not to be paid for not just paid carers but just carers generally how hard it is and I think you do get you do get forgotten. What do I think will come out of this? But honestly, what I've seen is that the people with PMLD have been forgotten, are not being considered in policy. There's been some nasty underhand thing things are changing under the cover of the big news story the big news story is always covid at the moment and under the cover of covid um councils have had their legal requirement to provide a, a certain level of care 
removed and the justification for that is that they they can't meet that legal requirement during lockdown so it's it wouldn't be fair to hold them to it and i'm not cynical but you do wonder whether it will be reinstated we've been forgotten and we it's only amongst the pmlb community itself but i feel like we've supported each other but other than that i feel like we've been forgotten i feel like when talking of you know extremely vulnerable people um the governments seem to think it's like elderly people and get pretty much anybody you know like the that's vulnerable because of disability or you know long-term illness certainly children so i don't feel that much as really changed to make people more aware of children like Thomas and you know other people with PMLD so therefore think that maybe in future people will remember them and remember um, you know the issues that they could have and therefore make further adaptation in future. Other really practical things like people have really enjoyed virtual hospital appointments? Yeah, that's been a real recurring theme. And actually, it makes total sense. You don't want to take somebody who's going to feel quite anxious going into a hospital to sit there and wait for two hours and drive three hours to get there when you can have like a 10-minute video call and the appointment's done. And that just, I think that's an approach that can get taken from this. And I think Rachel from Born at the Right Time really expressed this we had a great Ormond Street appointment um, a couple of weeks ago for Sam, and normally that's a whole day off work. Like that's potentially three hours driving in, um, you know, however long appointment, um, probably need to go to the toilet and have something to eat before we do another three hours drive back. So that's like six, seven, eight hours of a day. I was wearing my running stuff. Zoom call, you know, the doctor came through, done and dusted in 15 minutes. Like that is a proper benefit. Being able to access appointments virtually, so not necessarily having to go to the hospital all the time for different appointments, but they can be done over the phone or, or by video. So we've had a few of those and that's been great. I really, really liked that. The community nursing team had got, I mean, thankfully we haven't had to use it, but they've got a system where they would, um, if you know if it's called a rapid response team so that if your child um starts to get ill it's to try and prevent them going into hospital they've got like a dedicated team for the children with the more complex needs and they um and they they were going to do virtual video calls um so they would do like video calls to try and assess the child like that and then if they felt then they needed to come into the house they would they would do so but i think access to 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 that to continue would be brilliant i think it would be great to, to be able to have some of your appointments that way. I think there could be a really interesting shift in technology within, especially within adult care services, in particular the people we're supporting. Sometimes things can have a habit of being, well, we've always done it like that, so we're going to keep doing it like that. And that just can't stay anymore. A lot of the provisions that are now happening, they've been fighting or expressing for a long for a long time so you know looking at, at ableism as well and bringing that into the mix of what you're delivering and how what new processes and models you might set up in in terms of working forward I, I think it's it's really really key it's about 
not just what's good for those people in power or those those doctors who need you to come it's actually thinking what's best for the families you know what what works for the families and how can we shift and i think that's the same with like people that are shielding but they're being a virtual offer and they're being something and for that to continue long after coronavirus is is hopefully hopefully long gone so one of the things that i really hope um has a change is is a level of empathy you know i think before well now since lockdown pretty much everyone in the whole world knows what it's like to be going through life with a certain set of priorities a certain number of things in the diary a certain set of expectations and a an ease and a normality about life and the way things go and then it all change and suddenly everything be very different and we haven't to and the the discourse and the confusion and the uncertainty of life being very different um and so i hope whenever i talk and do training and stuff and try and share with some of the people and professionals and stuff what life is like and about that transition they can tap into the emotions and the realities that they've experienced through this lockdown process what we'd what we would all like to see is the voices of people with learning disabilities including people with pmld being heard and out there and that is absolutely not happening and it's something that makes me it makes me very frustrated actually so the bbc covered the explosion in deaths of people with learning disabilities because of course in care homes they are so vulnerable and they have died excess deaths in that community has been huge so the bbc covered this but they always talk to families and carers you know you never hear them actually talking to people with learning disabilities themselves people with pmld through story sharing through you know innovative use of technology of images of props they can show you what life is like for them uh, in this pandemic they can tell you bev's work at mencap with um, a project called meet the people absolutely showed that people with pmld can be involved in the conversation they can contribute to public discourse and they should be able to but we shut them out you know we shut them out in a group who are called vulnerable and it's shameful it's shameful and it should change but at the moment i'm not seeing the evidence that it is um and i would really like to see a culture shift where we start listening to people not just to families and carers but to people with learning disabilities themselves about the kind of world they want to build I think I think really the key is the the empathy and being represented you know really it was touched on by Joanna Grace our loved ones with PMLD part maybe it's because there's not the inclusive accessible venues so you know our families don't travel out because at the end of the day they can't toilet the children so we're not seen in society we're not represented and we're sort of just hidden away behind closed doors most of the time 
I think from my perspective, the most important thing that's come out of this, or has been, well, it's already pre-existed, everyone's known this, is the criticality of, um, of the wider support network around that uh, particular person. Um, so if families are abandoned at a time like this, or they're not supported, or they're not communicated with, you know, and uh, we do live in a world where, you know, even the most enlightened people still don't accept that family carers are, uh, you know, are, are, are a critical part of the, uh, uh, an, in, an informed and uh, intelligent part of the support network. So it's really important that that, uh, that lesson, that their needs uh, and their, their insights um, are, are, are really much better understood and acted upon show that we've got the battle scars, we've got the war wounds, we've been through a journey and we've come out of the other side and we should all be united with each other to ensure that no one is left behind. I know we can't leave our homes because we're vulnerable, but like I'm talking to you today, there's social media, no one should be left behind now. We should all be united. And if any of our listeners has any ideas about how the future could change for people with PMLD, please do get in touch and let us know on info at frozenlighttheatre.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in to series one of the Frozen Light podcast. As I said in the last episode, I don't feel it's the last you'll hear from us. I'm not sure when we'll have time to record the next series, but I definitely think this is a project that that we found so interesting and such an amazing way of documenting people's life experiences and getting stories out there that aren't often told, that the media don't, don't tell. And hopefully we've gone some way to doing that. So if you've got any ideas on, on what direction this can go next, do get in touch. But if you wanna to listen to the previous episodes of the podcast, you can find them on our website, at www.frozenlighttheatre.com forward slash podcasts or on any of the other apps where you usually listen to your podcasts. Please do rate, review and subscribe. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Frozen Light Theatre, on Twitter at Frozen Theatre and on Instagram at Frozen Light Theatre. Or you can find our YouTube channel by searching Frozen Light. Well, thank you so much. And I'm assuming if you're on the final episode, you've been real loyal listeners. So thank you to listening to the stories that the people we've interviewed have had to tell. Really, really lovely. Thank you so much, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.